So this is one of the takeaways for your listeners. Something that I tag the only statement. The only statement goes like this. We are the only ones that. Now, it's binary. It either exists or it doesn't, and it can be measured. And it's a way to separate yourself from the other competitors who are also after the same customers. Executives will tell me, Roy, we're not special at anything. We're not only at anything. And I keep saying to them, well, you are. We just haven't figured it out yet. The strategic game plan now exists with answers to three questions. This is Going Boldly, the podcast. Here's your host, Russ the Big Guy. Hi, it is Russ the Big Guy. I'm a lifelong entrepreneur who is very familiar with the struggles and successes related to running a business. I know it is definitely worth the struggle. The freedom and unlimited potential keep me moving forward, fueled by my why. Aligned with that is my desire to share with you, the entrepreneur and aspiring business owner, entertainment, information, inspiration, and even transformation into an even more amazing entrepreneur and human. To those ends, please enjoy this episode of Going Boldly. All right, listeners, this is going to be a good one. We have uh, the man here, and uh, this, I'm, I'm going to eliminate all of my uh, pre-interview chit-chat with myself here and with you, and we're going to get right into it because our guest today is an entrepreneur, an author. He was a CMO. He's a blogger. He was a VP. He's a leader. He's a coach. And more, more, more. Welcome to the podcast, Roy Osing. Thanks, Russ. Appreciate the opportunity to be here today. Yeah, sure. Uh, we're, it's our privilege to have you here. Now, what did I leave off the list, Roy? Well, I'm, well I, I guess one of the things that I'm kind of proud of is uh, I did end up as president of a, of a startup company in the data and internet space. Okay. Uh, in the corporation president. that I work for. And we had the fortune of uh, growing it to a billion in sales over a relatively short period of time. So, yeah, the growth piece is part of my DNA. And uh, I'm very, very proud of, uh, of, of our collective efforts to actually accomplish a rather challenging task. A billion is not a small number, Russ. No, it's not. And um, if it was a few years ago, even, it was probably worth even more. <laughs> For sure. So did any of that stick, Roy? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it stuck. I mean, the, the business today is like uh, 15, I think the last time I looked, it was 17 billion in top line revenues. Oh uh, you know, you, you know what the, what the internet space is doing these days and crazy. And the corporation that I work for is, uh, has carried on and been very successful and shareholder values up customer yeah. satisfaction is up. I mean, I used to think one and a half megabits was real fast, and now I got a couple of gigs running into my house over fiber. So the, the business has changed, but yeah, it's all stuck. And that's Not awesome, just because man. That's it's, great. It's internet, but we can talk about this. But a lot of other things related to how customers are, are dealt with, yeah, how they're cared for, how they're served. I mean, all that stuff may seem small to a lot of people, but it's fundamental to growing a business. Yeah, yeah. I see. You're you're talking more. Uh, 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 big brush umbrella, like important things. I was being very, uh, I was being very superficial. I was referring to the money. <laughs> Did not even stick in your pocket in your wallet is what I was asking. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, you know, it's, it comes and goes. Yeah. 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 Well, you got some stock, I guess. Right. <laughs> That's always a good thing. I'm feeling kind of, je I'm feeling kind of jealous. I, um, I've had the entrepreneurial bug since I was a kid. Uh, but I also had the uh, blessing, but also the the curse of being a creative and wanting to do things with my hands. And there's a limit to that. There's no room for the, for the, uh, you know, for the billion dollar one in a million. It's, it's interesting because uh, a lot of people would look at that and say, wow, it's huge. Um, there must've been some pretty big things that you did to actually get your organization to, to do that. And, and my response to that is no, yeah, this was a function of a ton of small, simple, practical things that that lit fires in people and convinced them to join the journey and be committed to them. And it required every day hands on with people taking care of them, getting rid of things that didn't make any sense to their jobs, making it easier for them. So when all of those things, it's like a confluence of activity. Um, that 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 resulted over time. I mean, we didn't start out saying, "Hey, our objective." You know, you know the 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 big strategic planning 
yeah. you know, experts, you know, say, well, you know, what specifically is your revenue goal? And I get asked, was it a billion? And I said, hell no, I didn't know what it was going to be. Yeah. It turned out to be a billion, but we wanted it to be audacious, of course. And we started out with that sort of order of magnitude mindset. But the way we executed was based on simplicity. There's no blue oceans in a billion, yeah. right? There's no formula yeah. in a billion. Yeah. It's just a whole lot of simple, practical things that, that, as I say, lit fires in people, and we did it together. Well, when you're uh, when you're talking about lighting fires in people, and you you gave me a list of a few uh, areas of attention there uh, at the beginning, and what came to mind to me immediately was leadership. I mean, it basically, you seemed like you were describing leadership. Yeah, there's no no question. I mean, one of the things that um, I learned was um, to redefine from the textbooks what successful leadership had to be yeah. in order for us to go on this growth journey. Well, what was and it? It's what not, was it previously, Roy? You discovered what it had to be, but what what was it that 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 it shouldn't have been? Well, uh, without trying, without being too critical, yeah, um, I am not a textbook guy, and it's not the textbooks on leadership are wrong necessarily. It's just that, in my experience, they don't go far enough to get people to stand out and do remarkable things. And the difference is the textbook theory gets you so far, mm -hmm. but the practical hands-on experiential piece of working with people and, and serving them, that's the piece in totality that I learned um, that I didn't learn in school that I don't see in textbooks. And that Delta, I think, was was instrumental to us being able to do what we did you know it's little it's little things it's the language that you use it's it's like saying cut the crap instead of eliminating non-strategic activities there's a huge difference one's believable and frontline people get the other is esoteric and it's kind of like uh i don't know nauseatingly boring in my view <laughs> and so yeah. Getting down to, to, to some fundamentals yeah. uh, with, with humans is, is extremely important. Uh, and again, I want to reiterate to anybody listening, I'm not, I'm not slamming textbook leadership. It's a good place to start. But I would urge people, you need to go further than that. You need to go further than that. It's not enough. It'll get you in the game, but it won't, it won't allow you to win it. Yeah, and so winning it is based on proof points of results. If you can get a billion, you can confidently say, I went beyond traditional leadership and I did some things that quite frankly, in retrospect, were fun and I'm happy because they resonated with people. I like that. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, uh, the idea that you're going to be, well, I guess, you know, outstanding in your field, right? So the textbooks yeah. get you into the field and then there's something additional. So we have listeners, one or two. <laughs> and uh i'm glad for that yeah me too and uh so let's just say uh let's say they're let's say they're in their field all right how, how do they uh how do they get to be the outstanding one how do they get to so, that how do they get to that next level yeah and and i i i guess i'm a believer that i don't i subscribe to kind of like a, a a binary look at at the world there's a lot of um adjectival kind of conversations going on in the world. Like, how can I be better? How can I be best? How can I be number one? How can I be a leader? Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. And the problem with that is um, it's really, really difficult to measure. And I'm not sure that the outcome is success. So what I do is I, and I've, Russ, I've done this since I, I started working when it, when I, I viewed that business was was kind of mediocre everybody was doing the same sort of things and it was boring and and results weren't weren't really as 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 superlative or good as they could be i came up with this notion called be different and it was the lens that i looked at everything through and so let me give you an example when i whenever i was given a, a project i always asked myself the question how can i do this differently than anybody else so 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 juxtapose that with today when typically people will go to Google and find out how everybody else did it. 
right? So if you're looking at a particular project on market segmentation, for example, most people would, if they haven't learned it at school or they wanted to get some sort of different take on it, yeah. they would go and Google it. Um, yeah. What I did is I said, and that's just an example, um, how can I do market segmentation in a different way that would expose opportunities for the organization to grow? Now, that's different than saying, how can I segment the market and look for similarities in characteristics? Because one is oriented to, I'm going to expose the right kind of segmentation to grow, as opposed to how can I cluster people with the similar characteristics? You see what I mean? That was, that was simply one example. I use the be different lens in everything. And fundamentally, it drove my whole approach to, to how to create competitive advantage for organizations and a process to do that, which I developed myself because I couldn't get it from anybody else. And we can talk about that a little bit later if you want, but it, it was a huge breakthrough for me in the data world that, that basically separated us from the, the, uh, the, the newer organizations coming into that world to compete with us. And it was very successful. Well, let's talk about it right now while we're here. We're following the conversation a little bit. We'll bounce around a little bit. So, so Be Different drove me into asking the question, well, first of all, a huge uh, portion or a segment of, of my way of thinking is around planning. Like my bias is if you can't execute it, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. okay? And all so right. I've written a, an ebook called Execute First, Plan Second. And the whole the whole notion there is we need a planning process that is built to execute, not a planning process that satisfies the intellectual side of our body that wants to be pristine and, and flawless in the plan, because a plan without, without execution is, is totally and utterly useless. And so it, it took me to a place where I had to create a planning process that allowed me to execute and execute quickly. And I did that. And it's, it's called a strategic game plan process. And it's, um, <laughs> it's so when I tell you what it is, it's, you'll go, Oh my God, it's so simple. And that's exactly the point. I like it. it. I like it, simplicity. It, <laughs> it's a process that's built around answering three questions and the answers to the three questions constitute your strategic game plan. Now there, it's a reason there's a reason I call it game plan, right? Because a game plan isn't about what's going to happen in year four of a five-year plan, because that never shows up anyways. It's about what am I going to do when I hit the bricks running to start getting results? It's a game plan, right? And, it, and my, my work says it's 24 months maximum. In fact, today, it may be uh, the timeframes maybe even shorter than that. But let's, let's say it's 24 months. So the three questions that we answer to get the strategic game plan are as follows. The first question is, how big do you want to be? Now, that's a question about growth aspirations. And it's a question about top line revenue. It's not net income. because so I can give you whatever net income you want by manipulating everything down the income statement to the bottom line, right? Mm. So, so, so gross revenues is an expression of market demand. So my question to clients and to people is, how big do you want to be? That's the first question you ask. And people are really nervous about that, right? Because if they're at 10 million yeah. annual yeah. revenue, for example, my question is, how about, how about we go after 20? And they go, well, I don't know how to do that. And I said, well, that's exactly the point. That's the planning process mm. that, that intends to answer that question. The reason that, that starting out with how big is so important is it depending on, on your answer will determine the character of your strategy, right? For example, if you decided to grow 10%, that would yield a completely different strategy than if you decided to grow by 100%, right? The strategies are different. And yet the traditional planning process is exactly the opposite. It develops a plan, plan comes up with some numbers. The CEO doesn't like the numbers, changes the assumptions, boom, boom, boom. Reality is it's not real right? Mm. So anyways, we start off with how big and we answer it. We will grow top line revenues by $10 million by 24 months, full stop. That's the beginning of the plan. And I got to tell you, people are, I mean, the, the arguments that take place, because what I do is I get executive leadership teams, you know, in a room 
and to develop this strategic game plan. And this first question, I mean, causes most CFOs to go apoplectic when they hear the conversation, because there are people saying, well, no, we can't do that versus, okay, I know how to get that. Yeah. By the way, if anybody ever said to me in one of those sessions, okay, I can, I can see how I could get there. Then I say the number isn't big enough. Oh, the number has got to be large enough. So you don't know how you're going to get there. Why is that important? Because how big unleashes creativity and innovation. That's the only way you can get there. Otherwise, you basically assume that and continue to use the stuff that got you here. And that's not innovation. That's not growth. That's not fun. That's not exciting. That's right. Anyways, that's the first question. Perfect. Second question says, who do you choose to serve? Now, this is a question about, okay, you want an extra 10 million guys. Where are you going to get it from? Where are the customer segments? Who are they that have the latent potential to give you that additional 10 million? Now, this is an interesting one too, because it gets you away from mass market thinking, which also happens to be a big, big um, contentious point for me because mass markets, as we know, don't exist, but most people market to them anyways. That's an example of textbook marketing. Anyways, I digress. It forces you to, to choose a finite number of market segments, customer groups, let's call them. Let's not call them market segments. They're customers, customer groups that, that exhibit the latent potential to, to develop that, that revenue, to give you that revenue. In some cases, the customers that you now serve aren't in that group. And so we spend an awful lot of time saying, well, okay, how are we going to manage those customers out? Because we can't keep serving them. So part of this process gets people to start thinking about focus, focus, focus application of, of, of limited resources to a select few that can drive the how big. Okay, so a review. How big do you want to be? Tells you what your growth aspirations are. Who you want to serve tells you where are you going to go to get the revenues. And the third question, which is a huge one, says how will you compete and win? Now, this is all about um, competitive strategy. And, and this, is a, this is a fun one because this is where you run into uh, comments like, well, we're the best at this, or we have the most, we have the highest quality service, or we've been in business for 25 years, as opposed to saying, relative to those customers that we chose to serve, how are we going to win them every day from the other competitors who also have them in their uh, sites? The process... I created within this this question, uh, and it's it's ended up to be huge. Uh, and so, this is one of the takeaways for your listeners. It's called, something that I tag the only statement. The only statement goes like this: We are the only ones that. Now, it's binary. It either exists or it doesn't, and it can be measured. And it's a way to separate yourself from the other competitors who are also after those, the same customers' business as you. And so we spend probably, I would say, better part of a whole day just working this, working this only statement. And it's funny because when we start, people, executives will tell me, Roy, we're not special at anything. We're not only at anything. Yeah. And I keep saying to them, well, you are, we just haven't figured it out yet. And by the way, we're not going to make it perfect because we're going to come up with something that we'll start working with and we'll revise it and refine it as we go. And so the strategic game plan, Russ, now is exists with answers to three questions. And it might look something like this. Our strategic game plan, full stop, we will grow top line revenues by $10 million over the next 24 months, full stop. We will serve the XXX customer groups in order to generate these revenues, full stop. We will compete and win by being the only ones that blank, 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 full stop. There's your strategic plan. It's so simple, yet it seems quite difficult, actually. And especially if you're working with groups uh, whose members have egos. I'm wondering, <laughs> I'm kind of... This is this is my perception as you're describing this. I'm imagining some of this. I, I'm wondering um, what your experience is in terms of like practical application of these concepts. Well, the actual uh, process of developing the a strategic game plan with a group of with an executive team, like for example, 
I don't ask for pre-work. Yeah. You know, yeah. I get the leaders in the in the in the room that are are accountable for executing the strategy. Okay, because again, don't forget the end result is we're going to lay off responsibility to people in that room to execute it. So I assume they know what their strengths and weaknesses are. If they don't, then they shouldn't be in the in the in the room. And and by the way, those deficiencies are definitely exposed during yeah. the process. And the CEO is sitting in the room. So yeah, there's some angst, but there's also a drive to perform and and to show their stuff. You know, I happen to have been around a long time, so I've learned how to manage, you know, interesting groups with, yeah, egos off the wall, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and I position myself as a content supplier, not just a facilitator. And so I've done this enough that I can spot the bullshit when it's coming at me, yeah, for sure. And I can also identify, because it's my process, the sorts of things that we need to address. And so I tend to lead groups in various ways. But you're absolutely right. The dynamics are, are sometimes vitriolic. I mean, there's contention, et cetera. But at the end of the day, Russ, I, I got, and there is not one exception to this. When we're finished, every it's a, like a big sigh of relief. I bet. It's standing ovation for each other. And the team is absolutely better off for it. And that's the kind of feedback I get from the CEO. It's like, Roy, holy God. I mean, this has been the most amazing two to three days I've ever spent. And literally, that's all it takes. I was going to ask you how many how many months. I was thinking months of, oh, no. of repeated um, you know, meetings. So. Oh. Yeah, two two to three days. It's that's what I'm saying. It's not your your yeah. traditional strategic planning process. Again, it's an example of kind of looking at, at the world through a be different lens. But for me, because I did it in the data world, I needed it because I had to execute. The, our world was changing so fast. We the the regulator was allowing new entrants in, and technology was changing so fast. I lived in a voice world up to then. I had to figure out a way how to move the organization from, from voice to data, from a voice culture to a data culture and all this kind of stuff. So it was totally execution oriented. So this process allowed me to actually do that. And it turns out that the, the proof is, is in a pudding. We, we actually managed to violently grow the business to unheard of levels and people in the organization in retrospect said, wow, how did you do that? I said, well, first of all, I didn't do it. We did it, but we adhered to some different principles. And that's just one example. Within the strategic game planning process, there's a whole bunch of, of small, be different things that we did that were fun and creative that that helped the process. And, and we can talk about those if you want as well. Yeah, yeah. What's the most unexpected one um, <laughs> that you use? Okay, I call it, I call it, it's, it's actually what people would refer to it as the recruitment process. However, I didn't call it that. I called it hiring for goosebumps. Okay. Um, which is quite different than your normal, um, I guess, reference to recruitment. Um, because we had such a strong service component to our strategic game plan around the customer experience and loyalty, as opposed to running out trying to acquire customers from our competitors, which I think is a horrendous mistake and a terribly dis terrible disservice to all loyal customers. I mean, how, ma how many times have you seen a company offer a yeah. brand new thing, could be a service, could be a product, but it's only available for new customers? It happens I, I, all the time. Yeah, yeah. I knew you were going to go there with that, boy. And I say, I say, <sighs> what a bunch of crap that is. What? what about me? I've been with you for 10 years. Nothing for me. That's a slap anyway, in the face. Well, yeah, it's a slap our, in the face to your loyal customers. <laughs> tor terrible. So, I mean, our whole our whole um, focus was on growing the loyal base of customers. They will come to us. We will treat them right, and we will take care of them and grow them. I got to thinking the the the, the sort of human element in that process is, is extremely critical. In fact, it's it's probably more critical to, uh, critical today in, in a world where we're trying to apply technology to every human function. Anyways, that's another side channel we could go down if you want. So I came up with this notion that says I got to find a way, particularly in the service organization, but not just there. I got to find a way of determining whether prospects who want to work for us basically like human beings. Because my premise was, if people like human beings, 
then first of all, they're probably going to be good team players. And secondly, they're probably going to be good as it relates to developing customer relationships. And so I came up with this process that kind of went like this. So Russ, I, I understand that, uh, that, that you're interested in, in a leadership position in, in our organization. And um, I, I got to ask you a few, few questions. First of all, do you like human beings? Most of them. Yeah, I do. Most of them. And you'll say, so I can tell a lot from, from that answer because sometimes people will, will sit back and think this is a trick question, but I have no idea where he's coming from. Yeah. Or others just lean in and say yes. Well, I have a, so bad, I have a bad habit of being honest. <laughs> well, that's good. Because the second question yeah. kind of nails it anyways. It says, yeah. okay, tell me a story, okay, that would illustrate uh, your, quote, love, unquote, for your fellow human being. And, and this was, I discovered, amazing yeah. because there were two kinds of answers. Okay. The first answer were, were, came from the people that, that knew it was a test. Uh, they didn't really like humans. And oh. the answer was, was really fishy. Like they'd rather be taking inventory and it showed up in their answer, right? Yeah. But the second, the second kind of response from people who had this innate ability, right, to relate and care. The story came back and it was rich. It was rich and deep with emotion, words, et cetera. And it gave me goosebumps. Oh, I hired those people. Well, and I, it let, turns out, I, let me give you my answer and see if you'd hire me. Okay. And it's okay if you say no. My answer is uh, that when I see litter on the ground, I pick it up and throw it away. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's my answer. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean that's that's it's a very I would, it's a very I would, simple but a very deep and layered answer. Yeah, it is deep, and that's that's why I would ask you the next question. Uh, I want to understand how you relate that to loving humans. Just give me a bit more detail, and you would you would unfold it, and I would kiss you on the cheek, and we'd go away happy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that's an example of some silly little thing. And, you know, it was silly, but it was it was a way to expose people's characteristics and their persona without a whole lot of these goddamn HR questionnaires, which basically never told me anything anyways, Russ. I yeah, tell I think you, you were you were uh, decades ahead of yourself. I mean, the popular culture right now, the pop of business, if you will, you hire people for who they are. Um, their values, and you can teach them the skills later. Anybody, right? So that's the idea. You know, you're looking, you're looking for the right people, the people that have the same mindset that you do, that have the same values uh, that the company has, I guess, or or the founder. Oh, or the, well, you know. that's that's right. I mean, you're looking to express the company's values yeah. through individuals' behavior, and so you got to and and what they value, what their DNA looks like. So yeah, I I knew. I mean, this was this was cutting edge and leading edge, and I was the only one doing it. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's still incredibly important. And and I can tell, and you yeah, can tell, definitely. If you go into a business and talk to a clerk in a oh, retail outlet, you can tell whether they hate you or not. Jeez, <laughs> oh, I just had this conversation <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> oh yeah. dear, I don't want to throw people under the bus. I mean, I realize every everybody has their challenges, but. Uh, uh, Sometimes it's pretty. Well, my wife sometimes say, it's pretty bad. My my wife would say, "Roy, you're being too hard because everybody has a story." Yeah, and I say, "Okay, I get that, and I'm going to give them a second chance." Exactly. But after three or four chances, yeah, okay, the moment of truth has expired. You've lost. You have no credibility, and and I'm just going to make my call and probably go somewhere else. But yeah, yeah. But you know what? It this is a this is a function of leadership. Yeah. Well, this is why we're doing the things we're doing is we we're trying to make the world a better place. We're trying to help some of these people, right? We're giving them, we're giving them the knowledge. They can get the knowledge anywhere, but you know what? Yes. We have some wisdom uh, connected That's to exactly this. That's exactly right. And um, I mean, and please, pay, I, you know, we're begging them to please pay attention. Yeah. Well, and if, if you don't, if you don't give them the tools and, right. and, right. and define the expectations you have, yeah. then they are going to resort to what they think is right. Yeah. If you're lucky, it, you know, you'll get some sort of consistency, but for the most part, you get dysfunction. Yeah. Well, we don't know. What, we don't know what we don't know. So exactly. I mean, I remember I went into a credit union once credit unions are owned by employees. Yeah. And so I went in and I said to the, the clerk, the teller, I said, Hey, look at, I've, I've got X amount of money. And I'm looking to park. Why should I park it with you as opposed to the banks? Well, I got to tell you, terror 
you know, said into her eyes. She'd never been asked this question by a, a customer before. And what oh, she no. said was, well, you should give it to us because credit unions are owned by employees. Okay, that is a horrible answer, but it's an answer that she had to come up with herself because leadership yeah. didn't take the time to give them, uh, equip them with answers to reasonable questions, okay, that compare credit unions to other financial institutions. And so one of the things that, that really, really made sense to me, and I've created a name for it's called line of sight leadership, is the ability to take your strategic game plan and break it down and drive it down into details that, that made sense to marketing and sales and finance and internal audit and all those people. So people sitting in internal audit actually knew the new behaviors they had to adopt and the old behaviors they had to give up in order to deliver to the strategic game plan. So I call that line of sight. Everybody in the organization has to have a direct line of sight to the strategy. It has to be crystal clear. And guess whose job that is? It's not middle management's job, Russ. It's the leader's job to make yeah. that happen. And I did it. And, and I'll tell you, it was amazing. One of the side benefits is we gave up so much irrelevant stuff, we actually saved money on the budget. <laughs> You give so much irrelevant stuff. You you had to lay off half the half the staff. No, I tell you, <laughs> there wasn't what, anything for him to do. Doing, well, we we ended up well for the ones that could be retrained and yeah. wanted to. Yeah, we shifted them into the data world. Yeah. It is true that a number of people, first of all, didn't didn't have the capability and or didn't want to go, and we exited them with dignity. Yeah, I mean that 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 goes without saying for any change. Good Lots st- of fun. There's rules in companies that make absolutely no sense to customers, right? Yeah. And all you need to do is ask the frontline people and they'll tell you uh, what those rules are. So I created this dumb rules process and it ended up to be a contest. Um, And so the challenge was to uh, identify, eliminate and or change any dumb rule in the organization defined to be rules that really upset customers made them go postal, didn't make any sense to them. Well, I have to tell you, I mean, the energy that that produced, first of all, my executive colleagues were a little upset with me that I admitted that we were doing stupid things, Yeah, but I got through that. But the people in the organization, I'd set up dumb rules committees and guess what? They were all frontline people, all frontline people. And their job was to identify the dumb rules, like maybe two or three. And then I had a management team whose job it was to execute on de- eliminating and or changing those stupid rules. Yeah. And yeah. once again, uh, it simplified things. It uh, had a high customer bias because one of the criteria obviously was if to qualify for being stupid, it had to cheese customers off all the time. Well, every frontline person knows what those are. <laughs> yeah, they do. If, if, if only we as leaders would ask them the question. Well, I asked them the question and onslaught came and we had so much fun. I had t-shirts made up, right? With, with dumb rules yeah. across the front All right, let's... and a big circle and an X through them. All right. Part, part of work. my, part of my goal, I'm going to jump in here real quick, Roy, because yep. uh, part of our goal here is to be entertaining as well. Not that, not that this hasn't been, but this has been primarily educational to this point. So do you remember any of these dumb rules? Cause I'd love, I'd, I'd love to hear some of them. If- sure. Uh, uh, well, a, a simple dumb rule was we used to, uh, if, if you were, a, if you were a customer of the business and moved locations yeah, and you had been with us for like 10 years, when you changed location, we used to make force you to provide a, a credit rating and we'd put you through a, the loops to prove your worthiness to stay with us. What? And yet you've been with us for 10, 15 years. That was an example of a rule that made absolutely no sense at all. It was an easy one to change. And so a, a lot like that, they weren't complicated. This isn't a complicated world here, yeah. taking care of customers. It really isn't. And then most people tend to complicate it. But that, that, that was one that jumps to mind. An example of an organization that's gone against dumb rules. Have you ever heard of the heart attack grill in Las Vegas? Yes. So, yes. so this is an organization that prides itself on on the most popular product they have is the triple bypass burger. Yeah. <laughs> so their target market is people that want to eat unhealthy. Isn't that? Yeah. And unfortunately, they actually had a heart attack a few years ago in, in their restaurant, which was unfortunate. But 
But the whole brand of this is based on on the what they perceive the stupidity of healthiness, which is outrageous as hell. I mean, no question. I mean, they the the, the waitresses in the hotel or or in the restaurant, they're they're all you know costumed as uh, as uh, nurses, etc. It's just yeah. wild. Yeah. And and so they they branded, they positioned their whole organization around this, and it's perceived as crazy, um, but and outlandish audacious and it attracts a lot of people but it's all based on what they think is a stupid rule called eat healthy that's that, their response it's certainly being different yeah no kidding wow i love that example it's a, it's an interesting we'll see how long they last yeah or the uh or or the similar restaurants um where you go in and rather than getting good customer service you're basically abused yeah um there are there are a couple there's a hostel in the netherlands whose business is all about if you stay with us, we ha- it's not clean, it's it's dirty. <laughs> and so they describe the you know the rooms as being horrendous, etc. But the price is right, and we're not we're not saying we're good. We're not saying that the oh my food gosh. is good. <laughs> it's it's outlandish. And you know, I looked the other day just before me, having a conversation with you. They're still there, but <laughs> it's kind of positioning so, yourself uh, in the marketplace so that you have to do it as little work as possible. It's kind of, it's pretty brilliant. Uh, it's brilliant, actually, when you stop and think about it. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's like coloring outside the lines. It's like contrarianism. I mean, it's a huge part of being different that's based on going against the flow. Yeah. So some people would say, well, if you, okay, if you had one sort of tip about how to be different, the first thing I would say is be contrarian. Yeah. Look at the opportunities for going against the flow. And that's exactly what the heart attack girl did. It's exactly what this this hostel did. They're looking for opportunities to to go against the common traditional approaches of the day. Some of them work, some of them don't, but at least it's you're seeing innovation. And I keep saying that that's a great thing. Just keep trying. It's a number of tries you make, the number of tries you make. That's what's all about. All about. I know when we uh, spoke before I hit the record button, we were talking about uh, growth mindset and how does that tie in with what we've been talking about so far? Well, basically the results of developing sort of a, an execute first plan, second mindset, um, developing uh, an approach to cleansing the internal environment of things that are stupid as far as customers are concerned um, of, of developing leadership skills that, that provide clarity between what an individual does and what the strategy says, the results of all of that is growth. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I attribute our success to grow a startup to a billion in sales to all of these things working together. It's not just one, it's not just two, it's a whole bunch of these small little things uh, working consistently and being relentless every day to make sure that, that they're moving forward. Um, there's no such thing as a silver bullet uh, in trying to grow an organization. I mean, you may get lucky and luck isn't kind of like something you can depend on. So, but you might get lucky and hit a big one. There's a few people around that did that and we know them, yeah. but for most yeah. of us mere mortals, that's not going to be the case. It's going to be incredibly hard work and, um, and consistency in approach and a trust, particularly with my stuff, Russ, cause it, I can tell you it works, not because it's theoretically pristine, but because I did it and the proof points the billion. So yeah. boom, yeah. problem solved, right? Well, that's, what, that's what we're looking for here in, in this podcast. We're looking for the real, you know, the real stuff. Well, that that's what that's what encouraged me to to connect with you because I, I really like that. It's amazing to me that that, that sort of approach um, is it's not used that pervasively. You know, the belief in the simple and the practical to get you huge results, that belief is not as as pervasive as I would like to see. Yeah. Hence, well, yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, that's kind of like that's my innate personality, probably. Um, I definitely can complicate things way too much. I'm uh, I have that creative brain that goes all over the place, but ultimately I, because of that, actually, I like things to be simple more so now than ever. Now that I'm a little older, you know, I'm a little bit more judicious in where I apply my uh, resources. And so I like to, I'm, I like to keep things simple. I like stuff that works. I don't, and, and the big part, 
I don't like the BS, right? And <laughs> uh, and I've been around long enough to know there is no there's no silver bullet. There's no there's no you know magic bullet. There's no one thing that's going. It, like you said, there are some exceptions, some lucky exceptions. But um, for the bulk of us, for almost all of us, there is no next shiny object that's going to put us over the goal line and and on a yacht. I don't know how to, how to say it other than just like I've been around long enough to see it right so there are a couple people that are going to get lucky with whatever that next shiny object is everybody else is going to um, be paying for their success everybody else who's trying to make it work uh, and so if you just stick to the knitting and stick to these kinds of concepts things that you're talking about you'll make the that incremental progress well you're absolutely right I do a lot of work with uh, with with entrepreneurs and startups and, and the biggest mistake they make, they all come to the table expecting nirvana, right? Yeah. And when I ask them a simple question, like, how is your idea different from everybody else's who ideas or products and services that play in your space? Um, what I normally get back is a description of their technology. Yeah. Which is the last thing I want to hear. I'm not a technologist. Don't care. All I want to know is what value does it create for me, and is it compelling and relevant? That's all I want to know. And startup presidents or, or entrepreneurs, they they don't start there. And I would tell them if you if you can't define your idea in a way that clearly separates it from everybody else's, stop. Don't go any further because all you're going to do is burn your cash. You're going to burn it up. But that is the common thing. So this. This different perspective has has huge implications um, to to innovation as expressed in new companies, most of which fail anyways. Right. So it's really, really important. And I I say to them, don't just just close up your wallet until you sort this out. And I basically, in my own way, take them through the three questions. Right. Yeah. Um, So that they start thinking about execution as opposed to, wow, this is gee whiz technology. It's sexy as hell. I mean, there's nothing sexy about putting together a strategy, but there sure is about talking about technology, right? Yeah, that's a that's mindset true. today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Christ, I just learned what Snapchat was the other day with my granddaughter. <laughs> Jesus, give me a break. Uh, that's been around for a long time. <laughs> I know, but I've, I've refused. <laughs> I do other things. And, and my, my granddaughter says, Papa, I got us. Actually, I got a snap from her because oh, I, yeah. I don't know how in the hell I even got the application. Damn, what the heck is this but, thing? Are you going to save it? Are you going to say, should I save it? How do I save it? Oh, no, it's I, gone. I know how to save it, oh, Russ. It's gone. I, I do. <laughs> I know how to save it. So unfortunately, I've, un, I've unleashed the mon, uh, a monster because she's yeah. snapping me all the time. And her cousin <laughs> also oh, is snapping me. The guys don't, but the girls do. So, well, oh, yes. uh, well listen, y- your entire life, all of your business success, um, helping you. Um, create the you that you are now uh, with that with the energy and the joy that I can tell that you have living your day. It is all culminated in that Snapchat, in that uh, relationship <laughs> with your granddaughter, right? Yeah. And isn't that the most valuable thing you have, or oh, or one of the many? Well, it's it's interesting because I've I've always uh, I've always tried to apply this be different thing in in my life in everything, right? Yeah. So the very like I have four grandchildren two girls and two boys, and they're just absolutely freaking astounding and amazing. And I learned so much from them every day. But I started out with this notion is I'm going to, I'm Papa to them. So I'm going to be a, a different Papa, right? I'm going to be kind of edgy. I'm going to get heck from their parents because of the things I do and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm living up to that. Yeah. So they call me and say, what about this? What about that? What about do? We have a wonderful relationship. <laughs> and I try to gently... Yeah. encourage them to see the world in a slightly different way. Yeah. And maybe their colleagues and their teachers are exposing them to, but I, yeah. I'm aware that it has to be gentle and, and, you know, it can't be perceived as being prescriptive because I have no right to do that. Yeah. And wow. It, what a joy. You're right. I love the word joy. It is a joy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was quite a shock for me uh, <laughs> to have to come to terms with being a grandfather. I got to say, well, it just was for many reasons. <laughs> if, it's you, okay, if you've been, you know? if you've crossed that, if you've crossed that barrier, then maybe you understand, you know, what I what hey, I'm talking about. But my my conclusion is really simple. I think being a grandparent is a whole lot more fun than being a parent. Well, that's right. been the traditional, you know, observation. Yeah. But if I could skip the second, the first stage, and go straight to the second stage, if we could ever figure out how to do that, that'd be a good route to take. 
Wait, you mean skip being a father and just go right to grandfather? Yeah, I'll just go straight to being a grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm not going to subscribe to that because I love I love being a father. No, I know you are. <laughs> I'm kidding. I, I love it. my boys. Yeah, I uh, I and I say often like you know being. A, um, gosh, I think I just said this on my last podcast. <laughs> Listeners are going to get bored with me saying this stuff. I seem to repeat myself, um, and then I can't remember what I edited out. So maybe it's not <laughs> maybe it's not anywhere. But uh, the if there's one thing I've done as right as possible, as correctly as possible, where I've been the most successful, I think it's being a father. Yep. Of everything yep. I've everything I've attempted. And certainly the satisfaction that I derive from it and, uh, you know, the self-satisfaction, the feeling that I've, that I get just even just describing it to, you know, to you mentioning it is just quite overwhelming. So I just, yep. uh, yeah, it's amazing. And it I is. get to do, I get to, I get to feel that again with a grandkid, but there's less responsibility. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I gave her a nice cream cone with three scoops on it. Why not? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Did she we eat it? to be audacious, you Did see. Did she eat everything exactly the way she was supposed to, to when she was at my house? Well, no, but, uh, I don't. <laughs> you know, hey, it's just one day. It's not going to kill her. Yeah, the what problem is get her back on Did you stay up too late? You're going to get her off schedule. Yeah, well, she'll get back on schedule tomorrow or maybe the next day. So well, yeah, you, everybody you will survive. Well, you, you, you do have a choice. You don't have to send them with me. <laughs> Well, I ne- would never give him that choice. <laughs> well, then you can't complain. Uh, no, can't complain. no, definitely not. That's I'm not, interesting. I'm not complaining either. So, well, I'm I'm glad. I just uh, I just thought that was nice. Uh, I'm I'm sitting here looking at all my notes that I compiled before the interview, and then all the many notes that I wrote down during our conversation or your wonderful uh, lecture, actually. And, and, uh, so I have, the, I have highlighted things that I'm going to be working on for myself. And, um, the, this is, has become the biggest benefit of doing this podcast, um, yeah. is actually the things that I've learned and the people that I've met. It's just, I, I another thing I'm going to have to edit out because I say this all the time. It's just incredible. Oh, I need to do a breakaway just real quick and give a shout out to Will, Tom and Nate. They're three young guys who own parlorcityfurniture.com. Um, they're just killing it over there, and they're now a sponsor of the podcast, which is awesome. They are helping me outfit a new video studio, and I have a, a cool standing desk. It's motorized, goes from seated to standing. There's pre-recorded or pre-programmed positions also, um, and we're going to be doing some upgrades in the podcast studio too. So they're super motivated, super cool. Uh, they want to help you. They're very excited about their business. They ship globally. You can find out more at parlorcityfurniture.com. Back to the show. Listen, there's one other thing I need to, an, an offer I need to give you, Russ. If, please, if you're yeah, up please. There. Yeah, we're coming, um, we're getting closer to the end, so this is a perfect time. Okay, so I'm, I have what I'm calling a pay audacious forward offer oh. for you and your listeners to consider. And it goes like this. For anybody who wants, like I've got access right now to, uh, the printed copies, advanced copies of my book, even though the publication date where you'll get it in a bookstore isn't until May the 31st. Okay. But I can I can get access to those books. So the pay audacious forward goes like this. For anybody who's prepared to buy a book at a friends and family rate mm-hmm. to give to a leader they respect, I will provide that person with a free signed copy of Audacious Ways. So that's my way of saying for people that like what they're hearing, like the concepts, get a book, get it to a leader or a friend or a colleague that you that you respect, and I will reward you for paying it forward by giving you free um, a copy of my book, signed copy of my book. All I need is people's email addresses or, or addresses to be able to do that, but yeah. that's a detail. They can contact me directly, Where? and we can have that conversation and exchange and and I will do it for them. Do you want to do you want a Gmail? Uh, you want them to uh, Gmail you, email you, roy.osing at gmail.com? That would be great. That's the one? Okay. For anybody who's interested, pay I, audacious forward. I love that. Yeah, pay. I'm going to write that down. Pay audacious forward. I got it. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. All right, so would one buy the book, that first book, through a link that you're going to send them? or? This is going to be horribly uh, simple in terms of process. Okay. That's, I guess that's <laughs> what like, I'm asking. 
Yeah. So if, if somebody wants to email and say, hey, they're interested, then I will work with that individual to, to, to take payment, okay. which would typically be an e-transfer. Okay. Because I'm I'm a simple dude. I don't have huge financial systems. And I will literally be signing a book and providing another book. So I'll be literally mailing two books. I see. All right. right? All right. Cost plus postage to whoever wants them. All right. Perfect. All right. Now, is there somewhere um, I mean, this is a good uh, introduction to the book. I imagine this this episode is there somewhere where they might read a foreword or something like that uh, sure. on a website. Or go ahead. If you go to my if you go to my website, um, you'll be able to see a reference to an ebook. The uh, Audacious Ways is available in ebook format today. All right. So if somebody wants to, to wants to wants to get it, wants to take a look at what's in there, but but still hungers for a, a tangible copy, which many 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 people do, uh, that's a good place to get it. On uh, on the other hand, if they don't want to do that, there's a couple of blog articles on my site. Yeah. where I describe what's in the book. Okay. Uh, so that may as well give give people some info, but send them to be different or be dead.com. And there's all sorts of references in there to, to not just this book, but my other six books as well. Damn, this has been fun, Russ. <sighs> well, we're not done yet. So almost oh. though. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here we go. Hang on, Roy. It's time to answer the questions. I double dare you. All right, Roy, it is time for the questions, and you've been great educating us so far. I think people got a pretty good idea of what you're about and where, you, where your head's at and your heart, and now we're going to find out a little bit more about you as you answer the questions. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready, Russ. All right, number one, who do people tell you that you look like? Uh, the old Rock Hudson. Really? When I was younger, that's exactly what I got. <clears throat> All right, let me just let me just understand this now. This is, are you referring to Rock Hudson when he is old or when he the was older young. photos of Rock Hudson? Okay. When he was younger. When he was young. All right. And do you, and I was young. Oh, okay. All right. Gotcha. Okay. When you were both young. All right. So I'm going to have to do a little research on that one. Check that out. Um, <laughs> where do I find a photo of you back in the, I don't know, fifties? Back in the day? Yeah. Or, well, well you're not that old, are you? Sixties. I don't know 60s. how far back it'll go. You probably get just new ones, but. Um, oh, okay. And I'm not publishing any old ones, so you're out of luck. <laughs> so, so there is no proof that you actually looked like Rock Hudson. We're gonna. There's have to, no proof at all. <laughs> There's no documentation <laughs> available to the public, or even to podcast hosts. All right. Yeah. Uh, if you could have a conversation with any famous person, dead or alive, who would it be? What would you talk about? Why would you want to talk about that? Lady Gaga. Yeah. Okay. She's absolutely audacious. She's an example of building a growing, a, a, a brand and a business by standing out and delivering incredible value. That's compelling and relevant to every one of her fans. She is freaking amazing. All right. Now, did you know I was going to ask this question? No. Well, you can't, you, cause you came up with Lady Gaga without, uh, without even a beat. Yeah. Well, well, just because when, when you say who I'd like to, to interview or be, uh, there's no question. She's, she's the one okay. that just pops up. I love that. Yeah. All right. Super. All right. Now I'm going to ask you, this is based on, uh, on your years of marketing and business expertise and the fact that you have very compelling titles to your books. So what is the best one sentence title that would get people to stop scrolling on social? That would stop what? That would stop people from scrolling on social media. They're zipping along. Yeah, yeah. They're they're on LinkedIn or Facebook. They're scrolling along. All the stuff's coming oh. through there. And uh and uh so one of the uh one of the challenges of being able to post something and getting some traffic on social media is getting people to stop, getting their attention. And that's usually a result of a great headline. Yeah, well, I, uh, I mean, one of the reasons that, uh, that that the subtitle of the book is called Audacious and Unheard of Ways I Took a Startup to a Billion. I mean, if you do the analysis of the headline, yeah, it's very, very high in terms of scoring. I bet. Uh, so that's what I would say. Oh, you're using your own. Okay, why not? <laughs> you're happy with well, it, obviously. The thing, is, the thing is, you know what? I see so many that, that are saying how to build a business, how to have, those are yeah. all boring. Yeah. They are. Yeah. I mean, audacious, okay, audacious rules. 
And everything I do now on social media uses basically uses the word or the hashtag audacious. Yeah. Because it is a word that describes how I think and who I am. And so I'm going to stay with that um, until there's a new word that describes me better. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I like you, Roy. <laughs> I like you too. Roy. Thanks, brother. All right. Uh, number four. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. And so now now we're kind of going back to the wisdom uh, part of it here. Um, and uh, often I would ask my guests a coaching question and challenge them. I'm switching it up for you today. I want you to give me some insight. What is the one common internal obstacle that limits high achievers? I, I think it's, it's um, the inability to tolerate pain. Hmm. Um, I, I tend to, I look at pain as being a strategic uh, dimension of one's persona. Um, if, if you choose, if you choose to be successful, then that leads you to doing things that others don't do generally. Yeah. And that leads to convincing the world around you uh, that you have a place there, a very important place that should be viewed as uh, influential to, to actually intervene on the momentum and change the outcome that generally requires people to, uh, wow. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of my own life here, um, requires people to fight hard for their ideas and, and tolerate, um, others with the sole purpose though, of moving forward and, and making what I would call a nano inch worth of progress of, of your own, uh, what you want to achieve. And so that takes energy that takes relentless pursuit of an idea and that's generally painful and if you're not willing to absorb the pain and stick with it regardless of the pain then you will not you will not see the outcome that you aspire to to see so there must be some way uh some tool or technique or some mindset that would allow a person to be able to tolerate that pain that uh, anguish that that amount of toil do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, to a large part, it, uh, it, at least for me, at least, it was sort of an innate characteristic of right. of who I am. But there are some ways uh, that that could help. I don't know that there's solutions, but the ability to communicate in very simple terms is essential when you're trying to go against the flow and and, and push a noodle up up a hill. Yeah, you know, your your ability to persuade, communicate, and persuade people in very simple, emotional, using emotional power words ways is critical. If you can't, if you if you decide that you're going to promulgate your idea using lofty language, forget it. What you have to do is get to the point where you're convincing because you're able to to communicate on a very simple uh, human level. And I would say that is the important thing. If you don't have the confidence and the ability to do that, that's not a bad place to start. Because my experience has been that when, when you're able to do that, and sometimes, you know, when you're dealing with people, sometimes it goes well, and you, you, you practice that well. Other times it doesn't go well. And, and in retrospect, you say, oh, shoot, I didn't really communicate it that well. My experience is when you are when you're rocking on all cylinders, if I can use that expression in the fossil fuel age. Yeah. <laughs> and then if you can do that well, then you seem to have you, you're able to move the yardsticks a little bit. All right. As opposed to when you're not able to do it well. So that would be a good place to start. I mean, once once you've got a little bit momentum, I think it's really important that you gather advocates. I mean, ideas flourish and are embellished when you have advocates. So get those advocates around you, get those people that think the same as you on your teams around you, use their expertise, get their help to, to, to move things forward as well. So those, those are two things off the top that, yeah. that I made a point of doing all the time. So that second one sounds like um, maybe, maybe focusing on the core values of the company. If you're in a, a leadership position, and particularly in that organization, theoretically, the company was created around your values or or you are a believer. So in times of crisis or challenge or pain, you could revert back to that as a source of power. Yeah. And it's it's a good point that it's, an, it's a constant reminder and good for you that, that this is not uh, an ego journey. This is a journey of trying to find a way 
to execute the corporate mission and vision and strategic game plan efficiently and effectively. I mean, so it's a means to an end. The outcome is a is a is an organization that performs exceedingly well and outperforms everybody else in the market. So yes, it's about values. Absolutely. And it can never be perceived to be about yourself, ever. If if that's the case, you're disingenuous and you lose credibility and nothing happens. Well, listeners, Roy's giving you a lot to chew on and uh we are grateful for all of your wisdom and your knowledge and appreciate you, you uh, diving into the questions. I've got to go back and find some old rock huts and photographs now, and then, and, and which will be easier than finding yours. But I bet I can find one somewhere. I bet there's one somewhere um, on some old corporate webpage somewhere. You probably well, just, still yeah, listed. Maybe I can come up with, with a different example, but that's just, no, I love that. No, 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 that's, I wasn't, I, I, I'm not trying to make you feel like it was the wrong, wrong choice. <laughs> it's, you know, it's all, it's all you, whatever you say is the right one. But now, now I want to, <laughs> now I want to see the photos. That's the thing. <laughs> it's so just to, me. To it's time my, date this, we're talking, we're talking about teenage years. Uh, that's how I far understand. this goes back. Yeah. Right. And I'm well, not going to tell how far back that right, is. I know we're not that we're not that old. All right. <laughs> All right. All right, we're out. That concludes another episode of Going Boldly. I hope you were entertained and you discovered at least one nugget of wisdom or advice that you can put into action immediately. Or maybe you received some inspiration from today's episode. And I'm certain you know at least one person who needs this podcast. Please share it with them. You might be the important link that will change their life for the better. Subscribing means you will not miss an episode, and it will make it easier for me to schedule guests because I can show them that the audience is growing. So please subscribe. It will benefit us all. Let me know how I can make this show even better. Leave a comment and send me a DM. I read everyone personally, and I do my best to respond to each and every one. As a thank you, I'll be awarding prizes. And to keep you on your toes, the winners will be randomly selected from names I find in the comments, shares, DMs, and from the list of subscribers. Prizes might be Going Boldly merch or products supplied by my guests, or just something random and fun. But you have to comment, share, DM, or subscribe to be eligible to win. A special thanks to Brenna Swanger at Waverly Manor Studios for our great theme music. And finally, thanks for listening. Go boldly, keep at it, and wash your hands.